Friends, welcome to Word on Fire Catholic Ministries. Word on Fire is an apostolate dedicated to the mission of evangelization, using media both old and new to share the faith on every continent and to facilitate an encounter with Christ and His Church. The efforts of Word on Fire engage the culture and bring the transformative power of God's Word where it is most needed. Today we invite you to join Bishop Robert Barron as he preaches the gospel and shares the warmth and light of Christ with each of us. Peace be with you. Friends, this weekend we celebrate the great feast of Corpus Christi, the body and the blood of Christ. Here's the first and most important point to get. This feast signals the distinctiveness of Christianity among the religions and philosophies of the world. Look, Platonists reverence Plato. Aristotelians reverence Aristotle. Muslims reverence Muhammad. Jews reverence Moses. Buddhists reverence the Buddha. Even members of the Abraham Lincoln Society reverence Lincoln. But none of these adepts would ever speak of eating the body and drinking the blood of the one they revere. That makes sense. And it's not to say anything anything negative about any of these good people, but none of them would speak of eating the body and drinking the blood of their uh, of the one they revere. All are inspiring figures, great teachers, wonderful exemplars from the past. But none of them is a living person whom their followers endeavor to ingest. So I want to see how kind of strange this feast is. Now, listen to St. Paul in our reading for today as he explains this distinctiveness to the little Christian community he had founded in Corinth. Paul says, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? The word that Paul uses here is koinonia in his Greek, communion. Consider how closely this resonates with the language of St. John's Gospel, when Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Remain in me. Now, to be sure, John's Jesus speaks of being shepherd and teacher. But he presses the matter to insist that Jesus is not simply a teacher we listen to or simply a leader whom we follow, but rather a field of force in which we participate. Let me say that again. He's a field of force in which we now participate. Well, friends, nowhere is this wonderful strangeness on fuller display Then in the sixth chapter of the Gospel of John, part of which constitutes our Gospel reading for the feast day. At the Capernaum synagogue, Jesus is addressing a crowd of his followers, and he blithely says, listen, I am the living bread come down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh for the life of the world. 
Now, to this point in John's telling, Jesus has certainly taught. He certainly performed miraculous signs. But now he signals the really radical difference. He wants to live in his followers, and he wants his followers to live in him. This is the mysticism, the Christ mysticism, that is part and parcel of Christianity up and down the ages. Now, it would be the understatement of the millennium to say that Jesus' audience found this teaching a little much. Listen, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now, mind you, first of all, if Jesus were speaking simply in a metaphorical way, as he often did, Jesus used metaphors all the time, his words wouldn't have caused this much of a ruckus. You know, oh no, he's just speaking metaphorically, speaking symbolically, poetically. But see, the point here is the crowd knew. They knew, not just from what he was saying, but undoubtedly the tone and so on, that he was proposing something that was just so egregious, so so out of the ordinary, so unheard of, that they balked. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And just to make things clearer and understand this reaction, the eating of an animal's flesh with blood was strictly forbidden in Jewish law. Number of places, I won't... Uh, tire you by looking at each one individually, but in a number of places in the Old Testament, you can find an explicit prohibition of eating an animal's flesh with its blood. So if an animal's flesh with its blood, if that's forbidden, how much more a, a human being's flesh and blood? Therefore, what Jesus was proposing here was bizarre, completely illegal, offensive, and frankly, a little nauseating. Hence the vehemence of the reaction. It's a very important moment, I think, to get this, everybody. As Jesus lays out this distinctive Eucharistic mysticism, he's met with a very strong reaction. Okay, how does he react? Oh, by softening his rhetoric? Uh, by assuring the people that he's just trading in a little religious poetry? By speaking of metaphors and analogies? On the contrary, he turns up the heat. Listen, amen, amen, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life within you. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. You know, first that little phrase, amen, amen, I say to you, which Jesus says uh, a lot, when he wants to stress the utter seriousness of what he's saying. And then, unless you eat the flesh, we have in English, but what's really peculiar is the Greek that lies behind that is not the word phagain, which you'd expect. That's the way human beings eat. But the word the Lord uses there in John's Gospel is trogain, which has the sense of the way an animal eats, like gnawing. Unless you gnaw the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life within you. My flesh, again he says, avoiding metaphorical language, my flesh is true food 
My blood is true drink. I mean, could he be any clearer? Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood, he goes on, remains in me and I in him. That's what this eating and drinking produces, is this participation, what Paul calls the koinonia, the communion with the body and blood of Jesus. That little word I love, it's all through John's gospel, menane, menane. It means to remain. Remember the very beginning of John's gospel, um, when the two followers of John the Baptist come after Jesus. And the Lord turns on them. What do you seek? And they say to him, where are you staying? And the verb there is menane. Where are you remaining? And the Lord says, well, come and see. And then it says they menaned. They remained with him. There's Christianity. Where are you staying? See, and Jesus remains with his father, right? Now come and see. And they remained with him. As they participate in him and he participates in the Father, they're being drawn into the dynamics of the divine life. Is that making sense? See, we're we're on holy ground here, everybody. We're on holy ground at the very heart of the mysticism of Christianity. Okay, let's say you're, you're with me so far. But you still might have this very understandable and relevant question. But how in the world is all of this possible? How do we make sense of this strange and troubling language? Well, here I'd recommend we look at our first reading for today, which I think provides a sort of interpretive key. It's taken from the book of Deuteronomy. It deals with the sending of the manna while the Israelites were wandering in the desert after their escape from Egypt. So remember, the Israelites complained to Moses. They had plenty of food when they were back in Egypt. Sure, they were slaves, but at least they had enough to eat. In answer to this complaint, the Lord sends this mysterious substance. And uh, manna is just derived from the Hebrew term, meaning, what is that? What is that? And they gather up this manna, and they live on it now for for, uh, much of their journey. Well, Jesus explicitly ties his teaching to this story because he referred to his flesh, quote, as the living bread come down from heaven. So as that bread came down from heaven long ago, he's saying now a new living bread is coming down from heaven, which is his flesh, which will feed the pilgrim people, namely us, the church, as we make our way out of the slavery of sin towards salvation. Does that make sense? Now, listen to how Moses describes the manna. He fed you with manna, a food unknown to you and your fathers, in order to show you that not by bread alone does one live, but by every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. Hmm, it's a little odd, isn't it? We're talking about this physical substance, this manna. But what matters as far as Moses is concerned is that somehow what is at stake is the word that comes forth from the mouth of God. 
Think for a second now about that word in the Bible. In the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth. How? Through the power of his word, God speaks, let there be light, etc. The prophet Isaiah, channeling the words of God, says, As the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return without watering the earth, so my word does not go forth from me in vain, but rather accomplishes its purpose. The point is, God's word is not just descriptive. God's word is creative. It makes things to be. Jesus, we hear at the very beginning of John's gospel, is what? The incarnation of that very creative word. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. How is the bread, how is the wine transfigured, transformed, transubstantiated into the body and blood of Jesus by the power of his word, by the power of the word that Jesus is? And therefore, when one receives the Eucharist, one's body is indeed being nourished. But what matters above all is the change that has taken place through the power of the living word. This word that enables us now to participate in Christ, to be one with him, to share his life. That's an awful lot, I guess pun intended, to chew on in these readings for today as we celebrate this wonderful feast of the body and blood of Christ. And God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's homily from Bishop Robert Barron. For more resources from Bishop Barron, please visit wordonfire.org.